0: Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Amon, and today we've got two tournaments to recap. The U.S. Women's Open and the Dubai DP World Tour Championship. Joining me to break it all down,
2: Mark Immelman is here. What's up, Mark? Hey, man, tis the season to be jolly. Are you getting in the festive spirit of, yeah, you should see the outside of my house right now. Um, well, we, we we might be attracting things from outer space. We have got so much light down here, but it's exciting. It's the first time I've been able to celebrate Christmas at home for a long time.
0: There you go, visible from the International Space Station. Uh, Kyle Porter, also here, KP,
2: what up? I've always
3: thought of Mark as the South African Car- Cart Griswold, <laughs> um, so there we are. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I know we're getting into the U.S. Women's Open. How about this headline to start 2020? A Kim wins U.S. Open. What what uh, what would what, what would you have thought about that headline at the start of the year?
0: Yeah, that would have been something. A Kim, A Kim. Uh, or if you showed me that, like I don't know, seven years ago, A Kim wins 2020 yeah. Open. In you know de- I- in
3: December.
2: <laughs> you, know, you know what I gotta say in hindsight, it's been a marketing job by Anthony Kimney's people bar none. I mean, this guy's almost more popular and more mysterious now than what he was when he was playing on the PGA tour full time. It's true.
3: That's that's huh? a great that's a great point. point.
2: It's incredible incredible stuff. The legend continues to grow for
0: AK, but it's A Lim Kim who comes out victorious at the U.S. Women's Open three under wins her first, wins in her first, excuse me, U.S. women's open start, 25 years old. KP, uh, was there any other way 2020 would go than to get a major winner in a mask? <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's, that's that's a, a great point, point. <laughs> i so i'm re-watching it's back on right now and i'm re-watching it and she's not even on the leaderboard no it, you know so I, I i wrote a little bit about this on monday morning kind of a, a review of the weekend and a preview of this week and i mentioned the us women's open and i mentioned the top i don't know there's 14 women in the top 10 and, and she wasn't among the the i think she was just outside of it and then she ends up winning. There's and there's all these names to pay attention to, right? Like you've got number one and number two, you got the Juchana Garden sisters, you've got um uh Amy Olsen, who's yeah. whose father-in-law tragically just passed. You've got all these storylines, and then all of a sudden she comes in. Birdie's the last what three holes, two holes, three, uh, to win the US Women's Open. It was uh it was pretty wide. I, you know, we were just kind of jabbing each other for, okay, how much did you actually watch? I watched a lot of this and I didn't, I mean, I kind of was paying attention to her, but not really because she wasn't, I mean, she wasn't totally in it, I guess, until like the back nine there. So, uh, it was a ton of fun. I, I loved like just the way the golf was played. I thought it was super interesting, uh, throughout the week in Houston and a good way for the, for the year to end.
0: Yeah, she certainly made her charge at the end of this mark. And I, I do love the, the Monday finish as well. But she she starts the round five shots back. She finishes as only one of four golfers under par for the entire week. It is a final round 67. And as Kyle mentioned, the three consecutive birdies to end it. That's just, you know, icing your veins type of stuff right there to get it done.
2: And it certainly is, and it's sort of emblematic of what if in the U.S. Open on the men's side and the ladies' side, if you shoot something in the sixties, you are going to vault over the top of people. And you look at this round that she constructs in the final day, um, Monday, albeit, you know, with three birdies on the front side. Then you obviously realise then the nerves settle in when you see yourself surging up the leaderboard and you make bogeys on ten and eleven but three birdies to close. I mean, that was just superhuman. Now, granted, those holes were playing a little easier. I saw Jin Young-Ko make a few birdies coming in down the stretch there too. But 67 to close at a 25-year-old for your first LPGA victories. She's had a couple of victories over there in Korea. I mean, this is stellar. And for me, it just indicates all the more how the, the young Korean ladies, they are coming out thick and fast. And just when you feel like you know someone, and then you have someone else burst onto the scene. And we saw that last year at this US Open with Lee Six coming through and winning. She played well as the defending champ, too. But man, they are getting, they are churning young lady golfers out of career like, like it's nobody's business. And it is so impressive to see. Lee
0: Six also there on the scene with a bottle of champagne when this thing went official because A Lim Kim, she finished her round. I mean, there was there was holes to play. She was trying to stay warm, KP. These they're <laughs> they're out there. A little hot chocolate. They got the parka on. She doesn't want to go inside. I think this is smart. Don't go inside waiting for a playoff. Don't warm up, you know, because then if you have to walk back outside and play a hole or two, it's gonna really hit you. She stayed out in the elements, which I think was smart.
3: Well, it, it was it was funny. So I live in Dallas, which is north of houston and it was i mean for dallas it was freezing here this morning and there was and the sun was out and there was no sun out there and i mean it was it gets it people don't think of like south texas being it gets really cool when it's cold it is miserably cold and can we talk about some of the attire that was on the course on monday morning pristine it made it made zach johnson's big mitts look like (laughs) you know they were built for the summertime i mean there were earmuffs as big as Brian Harmon out there. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> there were princess Leia sized earmuffs out there. It was, and- it was great. I, I loved it. It was, this year has been just stupid, weird and crazy. And it was a, it was kind of a fitting way to end the whole thing. Um, what What do you think about this, Rick? I, I wanted to ask you because you watch some of the, the, the women's major stuff. And I think the feel that you get, at least like I was contrasting this with a men's U.S. Open and men's U.S. Open. It's just Wolf and and Bryson just hitting the hell out of the ball, just hitting it as far as they can. And the, the women hit it far, too. But it it plays differently. Like as you're watching it. it, it seems like they're trying to work the ball more and 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 maybe move it both ways more. Whereas the guys are just trying to hit it as far as they can. Did you get that feeling as you were watching?
0: So I think it's so yes, uh, and I think it's interesting, especially with some of the softer conditions that they had. You know, the men would have, uh, may, and maybe not at a U.S. Open uh, in particular, but maybe with soft conditions, they tend to, to to hit it to the number more often, right? Just if it's 185, hit it to the number. These women are really working hard to hit the right shot shape, land it on the front, roll it back to the distance, right? I think it's a much more calculated approach than than some of the men take in softer conditions, just launching it up in the air, hitting it to the number. That they find
2: that's a good point but something to bear in mind and and this is building on what Carl said you know if when when temperatures drop You can basically throw the form book out of the window because the golf ball doesn't get compressed as much Mm -hmm. in the men's game, in the women's game. It certainly doesn't. so the ability to carry the golf ball, uh, any sort of significant distance is quickly out of the window. Then you bundled up in clothing that you sacrifice mobility and flexibility. Some, So all of a sudden, when you got conditions like this, it was essentially a free for all. And, and so when you play, when you can play the aggressor with soft conditions, Typically, that's in the summer when conditions are warm. If it's raining, you're not out there in a rain jacket or anything like that. So so it, it was some some seriously tough stuff for these ladies to sled. And, and I feel like that was the reason why you can have an NB Park post, and then you can have Lim sort of come through with a quick finish for three birdies. And, and, and whoever was in the clubhouse with any, any sort of respectable number, you had to have the advantage.
3: So I want to talk about some of the, the women a little bit more here in a second, but I was curious... And I have an answer. To, I thought about this, so I have an answer to it. Uh, uh, if you guys had to pick somebody on the men's side who would have been really helped uh, if the men's game was played more like the women's game is, where it's not just like overpower the course or bludgeon the course, and it and it feels more. Strategic. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but it, it does feel like they played more like what's in front of them in, in a strategic way. Is there anybody you feel like that would have really helped more throughout the course of their career?
2: Zach Johnson. Mm-hmm. Without that, a shadow of a doubt. Luke Donald, same sort of thing guys that, <laughs> sort of medium length hitters who make hay with the short game, you know, great pitchers and chippers of the golf ball can control distance with irons. You know, someone who doesn't hit the ball very hard, so it doesn't get very high. So lower flighted guys, who are pretty accurate off the tee, uh, good short game. So those two to me jump to mind.
3: So you think if, if the ball was, sh- or if, if the, if the ball didn't go as far, you think guys like Zach Johnson and Luke Donald would have been helped? Well,
2: no, that whether the ball doesn't go as far, the long hitters always still going to have the advantage. But if you're playing in conditions like this, that are, Challenging, and you're not likely to hit as many targets, and it's blustery and cold and that sort of stuff. It levels the playing field because this is as much a war of attrition as it as what it is a physical sort of a showcase. You know, when you get summertime golf and the men and the balls traveling all sorts of distances, the long hitter, short hitter, they're basically showing up and showing out. When you play in conditions like these, ladies have it's just survival, really, and you've got to hit a few shots solid, and then you, you, you you kind of recover for a while and, and and you construct rounds and, and Zach Johnson was the ultimate at that. Kyle, you mentioned, uh, Amy Olson. She's going to finish in a tie for
0: second. Uh, you mentioned her father-in-law passed away on Saturday, um, which is shocking stuff. We've talked about kind of, of golfers or athletes playing with a, a heavy heart. Uh, a, a handful of times, but here's a, another example. She shoots a 72, which is one over par is going to finish at two under par and one shot off of a Lim Kim.
3: Yeah. And she put, you know, she played great. She was in the, she had the solo lead. what well, she was two under two up with eight to go. I think something like that. And it looked like it, it, it kind of looked like she was going to, not necessarily maybe not cruise, but it looked like she was going to win. It really did. And so you started thinking about like, man, this would be kind of a, an awesome story. And, and I loved like, you know, she didn't play, what did she finish out? Was she one under two under she, so she played the rest of the way, even par. She just got beat because Kim made three birdies at the end. So she, she didn't really do anything wrong. Um, but I was th- I was thinking about like as she was finishing up because you see her kind of crying on the 18th green, and I love I think the women are so much better at um, like if that was I I don't know who's a who's a top 20 men's if that was Tony Finau he wouldn't he wouldn't have showed that kind of emotion on the 18th green I don't I don't think like you don't you don't see that as much on the men's side which. I wish you did. I think it's awesome because, like, that is such an emotional, like, huge moment in your life. I mean, uh, DJ Pajowski, uh, no line up, was tweeting about this. Amy Olsen's made $1.6 million in her, in her career. The, the, she was playing for a million dollars today. This yeah. is almost her, like, almost her career earnings in a single day on the same week that her father-in-law passed. I mean, this is, like, such a monumental moment for her. And uh, I don't know. I just – I loved – I loved watching her flush it all day, and then I loved the emotion from her at the end.
0: You know, this, uh, whether it is a... Men's or a women's U.S. Open, Mark. We tend to find ourselves very close to even par. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier uh, four women finishing under par. Compare that to the men's U.S. Open for this year, where only Bryson DeChambeau uh, was your only golfer under par. And in each of those, both the men's and the women's event, uh, every round we played, uh, fewer and fewer golfers were able to remain under par. I mean, this is this is a U.S.
2: Open. Yeah, well, I feel like uh, some of the some of the scores we saw here were a function of the just the, the stupid reins we got and the very difficult golf course that the ladies were playing under. But that all being said, the U.S. Open they pride themselves on defending par, and and we'll talk about it some in a minute. But John Budenheimer, who was um, the director of championships, um, that's part of the reason why they made the decision to move the finish to Monday because they wanted to, you know, play in conditions that were worthy of a champion, and so. Yeah, it's, it's what you expect. It's what I like. Um, I, I like to watch the U.S. Open for that very reason, where there's a bit of a grind. You know, there's there's the kind of situation where if you drive the ball out of play, you're likely to have to pitch out back to the fairway. And so it tests um, every department of the game physically, but it's more of a mental and an emotional grind than it is anything else. And, and you talk about Amy Olson breaking down on the final green there. You know, at the end of an event like this, it is grueling, man. And then you add the conditions to it and you add the USGA, the the prestige of the USGA, uh, you know, trophies and uh, and and you're going down in the place of history. At the end of it all, at the end of it all, you're spent just physically, mentally and emotionally. And so it's the ultimate test to me. And whether it's men's or ladies, it's always fun to watch.
0: I want to talk more about the conditions because that was a topic of conversation for this week. But first, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that National Signing Day is on CBS Sports HQ. Wall-to-wall free coverage on HQ, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on December 16th, where you can see where your team's class ends up. In the 24-7 rankings, that's the industry standard live announcements coming throughout the day, including flip watch rankings, leapfrogs, and of course, signing alerts. Don't miss out on anything going on 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 National Signing Day on CBS Sports HQ. It's available on your CBS Sports app, on your connected TV, and your mobile device. Conditions. Let's talk about this. Uh, KP, you're in Texas. Cold? Wet? softs. That's what they saw in Houston this week. And the term of the week was mud ball. Uh, We saw a lot of them. We heard a lot of players uh even say they were disappointed. Maybe they should have been playing preferred lies. Charlie Hull said, and I quote, it's a shame. I had a mud ball on every hole. I had no control over
3: where the ball
0: is going. So the natural question, Kyle, should have should they have played preferred lies
3: i think the natural question is can nbc purchase bubba watson yelling mudball to play after, <laughs> after Mudball? Mudball? Mud mud uh nah, i don't know i i don't i don't love the preferred lies thing that's how we started the year in kapalua right with the men they played uh I think they played left, clean, in place on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Um, yeah,
2: any, any PGA tour event. That's not a major championship. They will move, start moving the ball fast. Um, they they will start preferred lies before the weather even rolls in. So you don't get a situation like we had here when a portion of the field have started and, and they are playing the ball down and all of a sudden the weather rumbles in and then those few folks who've, played under the rough conditions don't get the benefit now of moving the golf ball. So so the PGA Tour will be very quick and very responsive to moving the ball, and they're not afraid of playing lift, clean, in place. Let me tell you what, we see it often. But in yeah. major championships, it shouldn't be. I I, I, I'm, I, I agree. I, I'm, I, I'm absolutely in favor of when you're playing for the biggest thing, uh, the, the the really prestigious ones that you played as it is. I mean, I'm going to sound like the old guy now, but when Francis, we met, pipped uh, Varden and Ray at uh, the U.S. Open at Brookline, it was horrendous conditions and, and uh, there was mud and stuff everywhere, but you play the ball down. That's what you do in USGA championships. That's what you do in major championships. We saw it at Augusta National. And you were there, Carl. You saw how much rain fell throughout the week and the guys played it down. And you know what? The good golfer will prevail despite whether you're getting mud balls or not.
3: I have nothing to add. And I agree with all that. Wow. I think
0: that's <laughs> first the first time that Kyle has a- agreed in in one hundred percent certainty <laughs> with, with Mark. I think we've got a first timer uh, over here. Cool. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's obviously interesting. Uh, there were and 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 I think things get. Uh, not put under a microscope. Cause I don't think it's that level of even critique or criticism or comments, but I think there was just more people watching, you know, we were talking about it before we went, we went hot and a, a Monday finish is is always interesting. I'm in front of a computer. I'm like, Oh, let me, you know, make sure I watch a lot of this. A- and then also um, draft Kings is kind of leaning into this. So, so Kyle, you know, I'm a big believer in this as far as growing the game, right? I think that, um, you know, people who are, whether they're they're wagering on in in, in a fantasy aspect or a betting aspect tend to be more aware with a lot more players on tour i think that they can name you know the players from 100 to 125 on the pga tour and DraftKings now leaning into the lpga there were large contests this week it looks like there are going to be more large contests next week and this might be an ongoing thing so kp it's, it's got to be good for the game, right? Anytime you get more people watching, caring about the results, uh, that's good for your sport.
3: Yeah, you know, as you say that, I think about – so the Monday finish was fantastic. I was uh, shooting Nerf guns in my house with my kids at like 11 a.m. and it's like, oh, let's watch the rest of the U.S. Women's Open, you know, final round. Like I, I wouldn't – I mean, we kind of talked about this. I might. I, pro- I probably wouldn't have done that on a Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it makes sense to have events like a U.S. Women's Open, a Corn Ferry Finals, like way opposite the PGA Tour stuff. Like, I think having it in December was, like mattered. Like, it was it was it was so like separate from the PGA Tour that it made it kind of the event uh, like of the month. Really, I mean, like it was it was a big deal, and it felt like I don't know. I, I don't know that you know. Are there enough courses you could go to? Does it make sense from a fan standpoint to have an December? Indecent- probably none of that is true, but from a from a time and viewing standpoint, I was way more interested and intrigued than I think I would have been in the middle of June coming off of like six straight big time PGA tour events.
0: Mm. What do you think about that, Mark? More money. I mean, I mean, didn't the Corn Fairy Tour try this where they like finished on a Wednesday or something like that? I like the Monday. Maybe you don't need to stagger it that much, but yeah, an opportunity to get more eyes, never a bad thing.
2: Yeah. And especially in the age of streaming, when folks who have to go to the office or whatever can, can stream the footage on their computer or their phone or whatever. And, and I've been, you know, I remember the U.S. Open in 08 when Tiger knocked off Rocco Media on Monday. Um, you know, that was obviously broadcast. But back then there wasn't streaming. So if you went in front of a television, you weren't going to know what was going on. And you got woods on a broken knee, which was one of the great stories of all time. So, you know, I still me personally, I don't like the Monday finish because I want to be home after the PGA tour <laughs> event. But when I'm chilled out at home to Carl's point, heck, it's nice to switch on the TV and watch a little golf that's not a rerun. And and it lends it lends some credibility to the thing. It does open up exposure of it. And and now in the era of the ability to stream live sport, I think it's a it's a good deal.
3: Rick, where did you watch the Monday finish with Tiger and Rock Media? Oh,
0: yeah. my God. I was uh, – so what would that have been? 2008, You were about right? two years old, weren't you? No, that was it. I was in college, oh. and I certainly uh, skipped out on uh, a class that day. Right? I, and I was glued to it at uh, in my dorm.
3: So I went to – I was in a computer lab. I was also in college, and – I did no work in the computer lab. I just watched it in there the whole time. It was awesome.
0: It's so good. Um, The Gentleman played. uh, We're going to talk about the European tour. They've wrapped up their uh, race to Dubai. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? It's Matthew
0: Fitzpatrick who comes out victorious in Dubai, beating out Lee Westwood by a stroke. Some more familiar PGA Tour names: Victor Hovland, Patrick Reed, finishing in a tie for third, two shots off the lead. Mark Matthew Fitzpatrick. Uh, I don't have this in
2: front of me. Still hasn't won on the PGA Tour, right? All of his all of his Euro wins. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and um, I, I did find this amusing, and I couldn't wait for this uh, segment of the show to come up because I just want to highlight that uh, he led the field in driving accuracy and was number one in strokes gained putting so the boy <laughs> wrote a hot butter to the victory but that's what he does and uh he's at a place where he's won before and so it's a happy hunting ground for him and then you putt great and you hit the ball accurately. It played beautifully Fitzpatrick you gotta hand it to him.
0: Uh, on a quick, small side note on this, KP. So now our our official world golf rankings are set. Right, no more events for the rest of the year. And in the fifty first spot, friend of the pod, Ricky Fowler has work to do if he wants to find himself uh, at Augusta in a couple of months.
3: Yeah, you hate to you know you hate to see it. First of all, uh, second of all, it feels like a little oh, bit of uh, an inflection point for him of like, okay, is this like, I, I think there's a scenario in which Ricky just gets kind of run over by all these young guys coming up. And I don't mean that it's not like, I don't know. He might never win again. Spieth might never win again. Who knows? Um, but I do think there's a scenario in which, okay, we've seen this happen to guys before, right? Like they, they fall, this happened to Lee Westwood. Like you fall way down it's happened to Henrik Stenson. You fall way down in the world rankings, then you climb all the way back up. And I think that I think that could happen to Fowler as well. But I think that we will look back on 2020 and say, man, that was a real sort of turning point in his career, one way or the other. So I'm 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 fascinated to see how it goes because it hasn't gone well for the last year.
0: <laughs> no, it has not. Uh the big winner though is, is Lee Westwood, Mark. Uh he wins the, the race to Dubai. Now the second time he's won this. 20 years apart which first of all like i had to reread that a couple of times and be like that it's just shocking the longevity
2: yeah well you think about it too i mean i'll never forget this was well back in the day where you know he was european number one and then we had the South African Open down um, in my hometown of Somerset West. And it was one of my brother's two victories down there. And Lee showed up and was in one of the feature groups. And he could not hit the thing on the planet. I mean, that not only has he won over the space of multiple decades like this and been the leading player in Europe, but he's went through the doldrums a couple of times as well. And, and you look at what he's achieved, you know, on the course, I think it's been a function of what he's done off the course because he's, what is he, 48 or so right now? And he's looking as fit as a fiddle. I mean, the guy's in great shape. Mentally, he's all there. He's traveling around the world. He's talking about playing rider Cups now, where earlier this year he was not that sure about it, and he was a, a rider Cup captain in waiting. And I want to say this. I, my My dream is alive because our previous podcast where we talked about when we were Prognosticating for next year's major championships, Westwood Twenty Twenty One, Royal Saint George's. I'm on board with this, man.
0: Wow, that number probably got cut in half. Mark, hopefully, he got a dollar on it before he closed this one out. Uh, I forgot about that. Great job, um, K- KP Forty Four PGA Tour. Excuse me, Forty Four professional <laughs> victories, two on the PGA Tour. Is he the? Does he have the most wins of anybody who's not in the Hall of Fame? It's got to be close, uh, right? I'm trying to pull the list right
3: now. I don't know about that. I was thinking about: is he the best? Is he the is, is he the most accomplished player ever without a major? Pro, um, which maybe those are the same. Maybe it, that's
0: yeah. close, close, right? Maybe, maybe
3: that's <laughs> the same thing. And I think he, if he's uh, Mark, maybe can throw another name out there. But he's got to be up there. He's got to be like top. I don't know, three, five, something I, like
2: that. Kyle, that's a hell of a question, and I, off the top of my head, cannot. Come up with anybody right now, you know, and even sort of trying to go back in the mental Rolodex, it's just not happening because Lee Westwood is—he is legit. Yeah, Um, he's
3: he's really good.
2: You see, the the bad rap that Westwood gets, okay, is that he shows up here in majors. He's been runner-up in the Masters a few times. He's been close at the U.S. Open. He's been close in everything, the Open Championship. And to the American audience, Lee is the British guy who's fantastic in the Ryder Cup and who chokes away major championships. But if you go to Europe, the guy is on their Mount Rushmore of golf. Almost, I mean, yeah, he hasn't won the major, won the majors like a Feldo or a Jacqueline or these sorts of guys. Sevy, but Lee Westwood is for real, man. Ever since he came out as a young man out of workshop, he- he's been a leader. He's been a gentleman. He's been a scholar, a fantastic golfer. And, and I, you-, you talk about naming folks, I don't think I could name a guy that dislikes Lee Westwood because he is just a diamond of a human being.
3: I, th- I think he's, I think he's probably pretty underrated. I do struggle not with a major thing, even, but how little he's won on the PGA Tour. Now, part of that's because he played so much on the European Tour, right? Like he just so missed here. He spent so much time there, but even like, I, I don't know how many PGA Tour starts he has. He just hasn't. I mean, what are his PGA Tour wins?
2: I have it right here. I'm sure produced produced Jacob, who was in the eighth grade, by the way. Uh- He's sitting in that chat when Tiger Woods was uh, playing off against Rocco Media. Here
0: here are, his two, here are his two PGA Tour wins. 1998, the Freeport McDermott Classic. Remember that one, boys? That oh, was yeah. a good one. Yeah. And the 2010 St. Jude Classic are his two PGA Tour victories.
3: Man, that's tough. Two two PGA – and I get it. Again, he played lion's share of his, his time on the European Tour, but – he played all the WGCs or a lot of them. And he's. it's not like he never plays the PGA Tour. So to only have two wins, I struggle with that because I think the PGA Tour is – well, it's definitely a superior like league. It's better than the European Tour. But what he's done on the European Tour is so impressive. I mean you think about like, like to win that many times professionally is a joke. It's wherever you're playing and especially on a place like the European Tour. So – I don't know. I, I struggle with him. I think ultimately I land on underrated. And again, one of the most, you know, it was probably him and Sergio of the most accomplished without a major. And now I think he's got to be right up there near the top.
2: Westwood 2021, uh, Rose and George's. Uh, I hey. would,
3: I would love it. I think, I, I, again, it's like the DJ thing, right? It's, it's the amount of majors that you have is not commensurate with your talent. And for Westwood, zero majors is not even close to commensurate with this. I mean, he's he's so, so good. And it just sucks that he's got 19 top tens at majors, but no wins.
2: Not that this is an excuse, but I'm going to lobby for my boy over here and say that there are a number of players who played in that Tiger Woods era. That didn't win what they were supposed to. Uh, Ernie Els, you name them: Vijay Singh, Tiger, uh, Phil Mickelson, all of these guys. Lee Westwood, even Colin Montgomery. Yeah, wait, there's a guy who didn't win a major. Uh, I, no. So
0: that's the list I have here. So he's yeah. the he has the most European Tour wins. Colin Montgomery, 31 without a major.
2: And that okay. dude won seven orders of merit, I think it was in a row. That was com- I was over in the European Tour teaching at that stage. I mean, he was just unbeatable. And when he showed up. Everyone knew he was gonna win and it was a question of who was finishing second. This this and is Wes, what, and West would crack that nut. That that that's where, what he did, which was a huge, huge boon.
3: This is where I hate how much emphasis we put on majors because it's such a I don't know. I mean, he could have three he could he could have won three major championships. I mean, again, my all time what if is what if uh Danny Willett's baby hadn't been born early? Mm-hmm. Because oh. he wouldn't, he wouldn't have come over. Speeth and Westwood uh, were tied at the end of the 2016 Masters.
0: That's a good butterfly effect. Like it's,
3: a, it's an unreal what if because you think about what it means for Westwood, you think about what it means f- uh, for Speeth, you think about what it means for Willett. It's, it's one of the all timers for me.
0: Here's so there are a handful of guys who have at least 20 European tour wins without a major. Colin Montgomery leads the way 31. Lee Westwood is is next, 25-0 majors. Miguel Angel Jimenez, 21, along with Sam Torrance. They both have 21. That's the list. Four guys.
3: Mark, better better player, Colin Montgomery or Lee Westwood.
2: <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, well, just on record, you gotta go with Monty. Um uh, the both of them were just fiercely accurate. I mean, they could drive the thing up a Nats rear end. They were that accurate. Uh, Lee hit the ball more solidly than, than, than Monty did. But something about Colin Montgomery, the guy was just awfully cerebral and and he played his way around a golf course. He did his thing. You know, he did the thing with great flair and, and he wound people up and, and people were fiercely critical of him. And, And he welcomed the naysayers and the folks who lauded him. So, I mean, it's a tough call for me, but just on the record, I would would go with Monty.
0: Westwood, not only making his case to play in the Ryder Cup again, also planting a little seed uh, for potentially being a captain. The quote from Westwood says, at some point, I'm hoping the captaincy is going to be offered. He adds, I've played in 10 Ryder Cups. And at certain times, you have to move into different chapters of your life. If I did qualify, I would give it my all and be ready for it. So, Mark, we'll start with you on this. Lee Westwood, going to try to qualify, but also at some point would like to be a captain for the Ryder Cup.
2: (laughs) You know what? That's probably the easiest bet you could find anywhere in the world. (laughs) Westwood will be a European team Ryder Cup captain. I mean, the guy, he's got the record, obviously. Um, He's been one of the leaders of European golf for the last, 15 20 years or whatever it's been um and he's perfect for the job he, he's got that elder statesman thing about him but he's he's young and he's young enough to communicate with the the, the newbies on the team and so he's got it all and i gotta think he's going to be a dynamite captain you know if you look at the list of captains that have come before him uh, they they all have been great in their own way but i look forward to see how he handles it because i i get the sense that he'll be the He'll be sort of cutting the Paul McGinley cloth, where he's he's the real player's guy, yeah. and he understands how the thing works, and and we've seen how that just paid dividends in the biggest way. Uh, so I'm I'm convinced to be a captain. I, th-
3: I think a Ryder Cup ca- first of all the wine selections at the team dinners would be great, but <laughs> I think a I think a Ryder Cup captaincy will be cool for him. Um, I think it'll be meaningful. You know, it's it's meaningful to. I think it's probably generally more meaningful to European guys than it is to the Americans. Um, maybe, maybe that's not true. It seems that way at times. And I think it'll be incredibly meaningful to him just because of what that event has, ha, how big of a, of a part he's played in it for so many years. I mean, it's been two decades that he's been a key component in European Ryder Cup teams. And so mm. I, I think that'll be, I'm I'm looking forward to the Lee Westwood
2: captaincy. I'll go out on a limb here to Carl's point. I feel like Westwood gets two chances, one in Europe, and one in the United States, and I think that would be fair because he's been great on both sides of the pond whilst he was a player. Do you think? Do you
3: think Sergio will be a captain? He's he's got to be right.
2: If, if if it if it goes back to Spain, yes, I, I think he will be a captain. Um, okay. here's he the problem for Sergio. You know, he's competing against guys like Westwood and and the older statesmen of them coming through now. You know, for for the captaincy and and Sergio. I mean, he was an assistant captain a few years ago. Remember that when his game went in the tank and he went and asked to be an assistant captain and that, essentially was the catalyst that brought him back to his best golf. Mm-hmm. So I know he'll get a chance. Um, I, I just think that folks like Westwood and company are in line ahead of him.
3: I think we just, it's like how we hand out majors. We start handing out Ryder Cup captaincies. It's like, oh, uh, Rose will be a captain. Westwood will be a captain. Stenson will be a captain. And then it's like, well, there's not that many Ryder Cups. So we'll, we'll see who all is a
2: captain. Well, that's the thing. I mean, as we look at potential captains for them in the future, Stenson is ahead of Garcia, I think, in the pecking order although Garcia's record has been impeccable, but you'd also look at places where the Ryder Cup could s- conceivably go to. Now, the one in Italy, I'm not sure who they've got lined up for that, but if, there's got to be a Ryder Cup at some stage in Sweden, and you know Stenson's going to be the guy then. If it goes back to Spain, then you know Sergio makes a lot of sense. Um, but, uh, well, Oli has done his already. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, it's a fascinating conversation.
0: It is a fascinating conversation, one we will continue to have over the course of, I don't know, next couple of years, I guess. Uh, but for now, we're going to put a pin in this. Um, we'll be back with some more stuff, of course, as always. So keep an eye out on your feeds. But for now, let me thank Mark Immelman, who you can find at, underscore, at Mark underscore Immelman, excuse me, Kyle Porter, who you can find at Kyle Porter CBS. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time.